0: Hello and welcome everyone to the North Davis podcast, where we have conversations about faith in Jesus, what's going on in our lives, the world around us, and how those things all interact. I'm your host and friendly neighborhood youth minister, Chris. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the North Davis Podcast. Chris, your host here. Wanted to drop a brief line to you before we got into this episode, in case anybody out there is bristling at the idea of atonement theories, or maybe you're just a little bit uncomfortable with the word theory uh, being connected here to atonement, a very central and important idea in Christian theology. And so I just want to invite you to listen to the introduction, uh, where Brett and I will have a chance to talk through why this is a worthy conversation and what we mean when we say atonement theories. This is a really important conversation throughout historical Christianity and I really do think you'll get a lot out of it. As always, let us know if you have questions or comments. We'd love to continue the conversation if you're at all interested. Enjoy! Hey North Davis, welcome back to the ND Pod. This is episode 11. Brett here as our resident worship expert in the studio, aka my office again. Good afternoon. Hello, hello Chris. Good to be here again. We're going to tackle some atonement theories today, which I think will be particularly interesting for you amateur theologians on the listening end today. And I wanted to start us off with a quote from Pope Benedict XVI on theology here. I found this earlier as I was preparing for this episode. Uh, and he's credited with saying the following, which I think is a really interesting take on, on studying uh, something as complex and as foundational even to uh, as atonement theories. He says, theology is a search for the rational understanding if possible, of the mysteries of God's revelation to us. That is to say that our our faith kind of seeks understanding through our reason, right? Faith kind of comes first, and then we try to rationalize and explain it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, but it's something of a mystery. Um, and so uh, we acknowledge that as we try to dive in and we're going to discuss kind of the five more well-known famous atonement theories uh, should just take us a little bit. And we're going to think about uh, atonement theories in the context of our worship music and songs that I imagine you folks will be very familiar with. So kind of what's recognized as the oldest atonement theory, the one that Uh, The early church fathers and mothers seem to be consistently on board with is what's called Christus Victor It's a Latin phrase that means uh, Christ the victor and and the idea is that uh, Jesus crucifixion is not a payment of ransom to the devil uh, But instead is a liberation of humanity from the bondage of of darkness that there is a, a battle scene at the foot of the cross and that Christ wins a great battle against sin and death itself uh, rather than um, some other uh, payment to some other entity right and so you have uh, Jesus who is the victor um, by his death and resurrection and, and not a ransom or something else so that's kind of the the original atonement theory if you will So, Brett, do we have any specific worship songs that kind of point us to uh, this Christus Victor idea?
1: Uh, there are, but to have any one song that translates any one atonement theory, and we're going to get into this a little bit later about our Christian music and atonement theory um, but you do find hints of it in certain ones. I would say one of the most popular ones that we sing that you might find a hint of that is in "In Christ Alone. Now, we're going to talk about that song here when we get to another atonement theory, right. uh, but there uh, in the last verse uh, or the last part of the song, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's t- first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand you know this there's this idea that Christ has is victorious, and is, if we are in Him, you know there, there has been a victory that has been won through mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even another line in here: up from the grave, grave He rose again, and as He stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. There's this idea of victory in that song, but we'll also hear another atonement theory uh, in another verse here in just a minute.
0: Yeah, which is to say, kind of like you you were pointing to that. Um Music blends our uh, understanding of what Scripture is teaching us about Jesus, and pulls from all kinds of different um, passages of Scripture. Uh, we have specific hymns even that we sing that are exclusively text from from Scripture, but we also have hymns that pull from church fathers' and mothers' writings and, and pull from our understanding of what Scripture is teaching us, and so we end up with a blend of uh, different kind of ideas. You had something uh, you pulled in Latin earlier that I thought was particularly interesting, and, and yes. really kind of helps us define why this conversation has so much value.
1: Okay, so forgive my Latin-speaking skills, but there is a very ancient phrase, it's called lex uh, or ordani, no, orandi, lex credendi and lex vivendi. Uh, now, for those of you Latin speakers out there, you'll <laughs> correct me later. Uh, but what that actually means literally is law of prayer is the law of of belief is the law of living, or maybe better translated in English, it means that our worship and prayer life shapes our theology, which then in turn shapes our ethics or what we do and how we act. And so the things that we sing, the things that we pray, the things that are part of our our worship culture very much uh, define what our theology is. So if we sing a particular atonement theory, uh, or there's lyrics that kind of uh, revolve around a certain atonement theory, we're likely to believe that that atonement theory is the correct theology for uh, for the atonement. And that also plays out in how we act towards others and, and ethically in our life.
0: Right. And, and I think, you know, before we move on to number two here, I think one of the things that I would want to say as we have that conversation is I think when I was a younger Christian, I would get to the end of this conversation and say something like, okay, well, but which one's right? You know? And and I think what scripture is is constantly pointing us to and kind of like the reason I wanted to quote, Pope Benedict the 16th earlier is because it's less about okay well which one's correct and more about how does our theology shape us and then in turn we shape those around us for better or worse right and so if we have um, good belief you know the Randy teaching theology class senior senior class at ACU said, you know, not only not only should you be asking, is your theology true, but you should be asking, is it helpful, right? So what is the effect of our theology, you know, because our, our ethics flow downstream from our theology and our worship certainly is intertwined with it. Uh, so there, Christus Victor, that that the, the forces of darkness, uh, not just Rome and not just Uh, distorted religious power in the Pharisees, not just they are responsible for the death of Jesus, but the whole domination system kind of discloses its moral bankruptcy and ultimate defeat. And so Jesus uh, defeats that at the cross. And that's not my words. That's a quote from uh, Professor Owlin, who kind of discloses his understanding of Christus Victor in a book that he wrote uh, in the I believe late 19th century his quote I was reading there uh, next you have this idea of ransom theory of atonement and this one is probably uh, Brett something we're really familiar with certainly in our music and essentially you have this idea uh, that from the beginning of sin time that Adam and Eve sold us out as it were uh, to the devil and um, it required God to pay a ransom fee to sin and to death. Uh, And we kind of tend to think of uh, Satan as being chief over those things, um, which is kind of an interesting idea in and of itself. But, but yeah, that's the essential uh, idea here that um, uh, some atonement ransom price has to be paid because we are captive uh, to sin and death because of Adam and Eve. And and we've been sold out to that. And you kind of see that, Um, that word often shows up in scripture, Mark ten forty five: the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom, uh, for many first Timothy two, five through six, uh, there's one God and also one mediator between God and humans, Christ Jesus himself human who gave himself a ransom, uh, for all. And so that's kind of a rough overview. Um, any particular songs that you found that point to ransom theory in this idea?
1: I think the best example of this that I found was actually an old camp song, but we occasionally will sing it in worship. It's called, He Paid a Debt. <sighs> he paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could mm, not pay. Yeah, I'm familiar I that needed one. someone to wash my sins away. And it's kind of that thought. And there are several songs that will kind of hint towards this, uh, Jesus paid something that we couldn't pay, this kind of ransom, we owed something to someone. And it needed to be paid, and Jesus was the one that paid kind of that ransom for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the ransom theory more specifically says that what we owe is to Satan, or that, you know, because of our sin that we somehow owe Satan something, and Jesus paid that ransom to him. Yeah, I think Satan
0: becomes that target of the ransom payment because... Uh, there's something more concrete about the idea of a Satan rather than paying off death as just this ethereal concept, you know? So, so yeah, I think we persona, you know, we put that on Satan and say, you know, yes, that's who's receiving said payment. We are, we are war captives, if you will. And and so Jesus buys us back from you.
1: Yeah. Though the scripture does talk about the word ransom, there's not really an like an object of where that ransom's going right. to, right. Or who he's paying that ransom to, right? Which
0: you know, and and we, frankly, that's usually the criticism of it, you know. As as we study, uh, ransom theory historically, and we'll talk here in a little bit about some of the other uh, folks that criticize ransom theory. Is that seems to be the unsatisfying nature. And anytime you're trying to, again, theology is is trying to explain the mystery of of God's working and God's love. Uh, and, and, and there's ways to criticize each of these ideas to a certain extent. Uh, and the criticism of this one is uh, it, it sure seems like God could just take Satan's stuff. And so if, in fact, we are uh, held captive in this metaphysical war, and we are war captives of Satan, and so we're being bought back as a ransom. That's why I think a ransom, like a prisoner exchange. Um, it sure seems like God could just take Satan's stuff and wouldn't have to pay a ransom. Yeah, you so. think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of the, the, the downside of that idea, if you will, and uh, that gets a, a lot of the criticism. Uh, the next one that we wanted to talk about was moral influence theory, maybe one of the less known. Uh, and this one we had trouble finding any particular music for but there may be some songs that kind of point to it uh, And that's because largely there's not any particular uh, verse that you're gonna find that points to this idea It's more of an overarching narrative, right? So John three sixteen comes to mind uh, and I'll explain why so the moral influence or moral example theory uh, is essentially put forth by this guy uh, Last name Abelard and he uh, has this idea that uh, God's focus is on changing man's perception um, of, of himself by sending Jesus to die, that there's something about the message of love at the cross uh, that is meant to change humanity for the better, uh, that Jesus died as a demonstration of that love uh, to change our hearts and minds to turn back to God. Uh, and so again, John three sixteen, right? Uh, for God so loved the world that he sent his son so that whoever believes— would not perish right and it's a pretty straightforward idea there in John three sixteen. and of course we're you know cherry-picking just some specific verses to highlight uh, The messages uh, With these theories, but that would be one example of a text that points to uh, The cross is a symbol of love and so uh, it is a response to that loving uh, Gesture of God that that we should be responding to um, any particular songs that you find that um kind of point to this.
1: Yeah, this is not one that we really sing, uh, but it's a more contemporary song called The Wonder of the Cross, and you see it just in the very first verse, O precious sight, my Savior stands, dying for me with outstretched hands. O precious sight, I love to gaze, remembering salvation's day. Though my eyes linger on the scene, my passing time and years not steal, the power with which it impacts me, the freshness of its mystery. And just this idea that Jesus came with outstretched hands, this idea of love. And as we gaze upon that, we see Jesus's love for us in his death on the cross.
0: Yeah. Do you? Uh, it, it's almost more poetic in a way. I feel like Abelard's more of a uh, a poetic guy, and he sees the beauty. And so for I yeah. think for listeners who see um, the, the beauty and the metaphor. Um, really easily and really well that maybe this kind of calls them a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and you may be alluding to this later on, but I, I really feel that he captures a facet of mm. atonement that maybe some of these others don't quite capture, which is that love of Jesus and that mercy and grace that comes through that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's a really good point to make, which is that any single atonement theory is probably never going to be faceted enough, multifaceted enough, so as to correctly and completely envelop what it means that God sent his son to die for us. You know, it's, it's, you're never going to capture anything about God in the, you know some kind of construct. Um, and even in scripture itself, you know, if it was as simple as, you know, A- X plus Y equals Z... Although well, the Bible would be a lot shorter, I figure, But you know, uh, but it's complicated. Uh, Abelard, yeah, so he had a he had a, a poetry uh, bent and was a philosopher, really well loved. Are you familiar with kind of how his life turned out halfway through? I'm not, actually. Okay, so this is just kind of an interesting, fun tidbit. But again, he's poetry and philosophy and kind of more artsy kind of guy from what we can tell. And he's considering uh, amongst his... Uh, While doing his philosophy career, he's considering going into the ministry. And, of course, at this time, Middle Ages, we're talking, I want to say, 1300s. Earlier than that, this is uh, the 11th and 12th century. And uh, so priests are still expected to be celibate, of course. Uh, Well, he, as he's considering this, actually has this secret love affair with this uh, French woman named Eloise, I think it is. And um, it, it turns into this whole big thing where they have this secret exchanging of passionate poetry you can look it up the letter love letters of abelard and eloise and well anyway uh, she gets pregnant uh with his kid and they have a secret marriage so that he can still potentially go off and be a priest but then her uncle who she was living with finds out and he <laughs> sends a group of guys in the middle of the night to castrate him and in his shame he goes off and becomes a monk and spends time writing and kind of lamenting in his diminished state about you know wow. love and how he couldn't be with his true love and all this stuff so anyway mm-hmm. sounds like a movie yeah right yeah. it really could be yeah so all, you know your experience shapes your theology folks uh, undoubtedly So uh, next theory is called satisfaction theory of atonement Uh, and this one's kind of interesting because it has connections to some of the other theories uh, but it also is not going to sit well with some of us because of what it uh, essentially claims and it comes very much out of the uh, more middle ages and so we're talking about like kings and queens and knights. Uh, in very much an honor uh, type culture right uh, and so Anselm of Canterbury is kind of the first person to push this theory and he essentially argues that sin is uh, or humanity's sin is so great that it has offended God's honor and so God as a, uh, a, a holy and rightful king uh, demands satisfaction for his besmirched honor uh, so if you've ever seen like a movie with a knight and they take their glove and they hit somebody across the face with it and I demand satisfaction, you know, my honor, sir, you know? And so uh, I'm not sure how that makes us think about God, but, but that's kind of the theory he puts forth that, that, you know, God's honor has been offended by sin and there must be uh, some kind of punishment, some kind of response, uh, and, and so Jesus satisfies our honor debt to God. Thus, we avoid uh, punishment. Is kind of the idea here. And of course, uh, you see things like that represented in, you know, Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God uh, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Um, so, satisfaction theory. Yeah,
1: uh, I think this one and probably the next one you're about to talk about are very. A little bit more legal, (laughs) sounding. Yeah, you know, kind of like we we've had an offense against God, and so we, in some ways, need to be pardoned for that.
0: Um, Yes, which is a much more kind of Western concept, as we see Western mm -hmm. Church developing these ideas.
1: So there's an old hymn, "Hallelujah, What a Savior." Uh, that we have sung many times for. This one actually has uh, probably two or three different (laughs) atonement theories, depending on Mm -hmm. which verse Mm -hmm. you're at. Uh, But there's one where, hallelujah, praise to the one whose blood has pardoned me. Oh, what a Savior, Redeemer and King, your love has rescued me. Kind of this, you know, we've offended God and you know, Jesus in, has come and has been able to pardon us, you know, because he is king. And you know, so there's some kind of lyric there that kind of points more towards that. I, I think really uh, a lot of the hymns that we have that are more satisfaction, pardon, really get more towards this last one that you'll talk about. So. Yeah,
0: and probably the one that most people are familiar with. Uh, just to kind of get in the head of Anselm a little bit, he, he says this uh, as far as, owing God of debt of honor. Quote This is the debt which man and angel owe to God, and no one who pays this debt commits sin, but everyone who does not pay it sins. This is justice, or uprightness of will, which makes a being just or upright in heart, that is, in will, and this is the sole and complete debt of honor which we owe to God. Which God requires of us which you know is really fancy speak and I know you'd have to listen to that three times I'd have to read it probably five or six more times to understand all of the facets of what he's saying uh, but it's kind of this interesting idea that um, As human beings we have upset God's honor and have a right uh, we, we rightly should have to respond to that offense uh, But we can't do it and so that's why you need the God man Jesus God in the flesh uh, because as a human, he has the responsibility to pay the debt. Uh, but as God, he has the ability uh, to satisfy that, that injury against God's honor, which is kind of an interesting idea. Uh, so, uh, Brett, what, what's kind of the shortcoming of that theory? We've talked about some of the holes that other theories have. Uh, as far as satisfaction theory, do you see any particular way that people could uh, start feeling like, yeah, I, don't, I don't necessarily like this element about this one?
1: I mean, I think that what I've probably heard from other people would be more along the lines of, isn't it pretty weird that God would be offended? I mean, if he knows us and he knows our who we're going to be. I mean, he created us and he knew that we struggle." with it. Isn't it kind of weird that he's so offended that he needs to kill his son in order to make himself okay with us again? Mm, I mean, mm-hmm, there's just some, mm-hmm. it just sounds kind of weird to people coming from an outside view going, well, that doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, that somehow God would be bound to this supernatural honor code that would require uh, the handing over of his son so that he can move past it all. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. would. That i got
1: to kill my son so I can get over myself. Yeah, right. You know? That would, I, see, that, that's that would just, be a less flattering and, take for sure. Yeah, right. and there's no disrespect men in that. That's just from, that's what an outsider going to say.
0: Right. <laughs> well, and I think uh, you, I, I would say I've even heard non-Christians make that case, uh, religious and non-religious people that would say, um, I, I, I hear you say God is love, but also God loves so much that he can't, you know, move past this this sin thing that by the way he knew was coming because if god knew everything that was going to go down uh, in some way god perhaps is even responsible for our sin in a way that he set us on the trajectory for and then yeah you know and and again as we
1: as you're talking about with theology trying to make sense of all of this right. these are questions that come right. up i mean these are questions not only from outsiders but when you go and study Study the Bible on a college level or a master's level. I mean, mm-hmm. these are all questions you have to start diving into and going, "Right, um, oh, I've never had to answer that before. I uh-huh. don't know what to say here."
0: <laughs> right. Well, and it, you know, as with all things, the more you know, the more you don't know. Right. Um, Absolutely, which, which is definitely true here. Uh, so the the last one we have on the docket for today, and it's the one that uh, is easily um, most recognized, probably uh, in our. Modern and Western context, uh, both of those taken into account, and that's going to be usually referred to as substitutionary atonement theory. Uh, And most of you all probably have a decent explanation of this already in your head by listening to those words. Uh, And if I asked you to explain what it is that Jesus is doing on the cross, you would probably give us some kind of definition like this. The idea that Jesus died for us, that uh, somewhat in a similar way to satisfaction theory uh, is that there is death coming for somebody uh, this inevitable uh, missile c- called death and it's aimed at us because we deserve it because of our sin uh, and instead Jesus takes that bullet for us so to speak um, and that's a different metaphor but of course we're literally talking about death uh, that that Jesus has to die and, and that because he is um, unworthy of death it's the only thing Jesus is unworthy of he's unworthy of death uh, that satisfies the wrath of God which would be uh, perhaps a line from one of the songs that, that you've pulled and of course they may even conjure up for listeners the uh, the wrath of God that is satisfied
1: yep, because that's in Christ alone in Christ alone. second verse and it's again it's it's one that interestingly enough this song in Christ alone has been omitted from certain people's hymn books, because of this line, and the oh, really? The, there has been enough frustration about the theology uh, behind uh, the penal substitution, which is, I guess, one of the technical names for this atonement yes. theory. Yes, uh-huh. another name um, for it. Yep. Another name for it, but that people have taken this specific hymn because of this lyric Um, and it says till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I've seen actually I know of a a church that we've done some stuff with that changed that word to the love of God was satisfied oh interesting they will not say the word
0: wrath okay so for people that might kind of Balk at that. Help us get inside the headspace of somebody who would resist um, that wrath of God idea. Why change it to the love of God? What is the what's the thinking as Uh, you understand it?
1: I don't. It's something that again, it's similar to the satisfaction stuff. That okay, God is mad and somebody's got to pay, and God can't let it go, and God's gonna get at everybody who is in the wrong. And which is all of us. Yeah, which is all of us. <laughs> which is all of us. That's yeah, right. right. Not just some of us, but all of us. Uh-huh. And so, you know, but again, this whole idea that Jesus is coming and he's sending his son to die. And and then this gets really complex on another level that Jesus is God. So, right. yeah. I, I mean, in some sense, is God killing himself Uh (laughs) in order to satisfy his His wrath because he's mad at us. I mean, these theories, I mean, I I think they're good attempts at trying to see the beauty and the complexity of what Jesus did for us, but there's failing points on so many levels on several of these. Yeah,
0: well, and yeah, I I think that's exactly right, right? There's failing points and there's correct points in each of them, right? Absolutely. We we would say that... uh, you know, everything that is a metaphor, which, not that theology and metaphor are the same, but theology has to use metaphor to kind of point at something, and all metaphors break down, right? So, inevitably, you're going to get stuck at a point where you're like, well, yeah, but what if, and we have to go, well, you know, there's no perfect example, you know, no. we can't explain it perfectly. And it is our best attempt at it, and mm-hmm. I, I think,
1: I mean, you had scripture references for most of these, and mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. This, these are theories are very much seen in Scripture, right. but these theories are just our attempts at trying to understand this picture that is created. It's a multifaceted picture mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we see the love of God. We see that our sin has done something, and there is a separation, and yes. there needed to be something that was done. And so you see words like Ransom, and again, that's our English word, ransom, that ransom. In, in our Western legal sense and or, you right. know, if somebody's captured somebody. I mean, w- there's all of these different nuances of words that sometimes translate, sometimes not. Um, and we try to put terminology, you know, behind that. And these are our best attempts to do that. And yep. we just, we got to come at this with humility, knowing that we have a God that loves us. And we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and, you know, call it what you want, call it a ransom, Mm -hmm. call it, it, it's probably all of it. And some, it's all of it and none of it and and more. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And that's what I love about our music is that really, I, I don't know that any one piece of music goes any one particular direction you, you might mm-hmm. find a line or two, like in Christ Alone, that go towards one, but then you get to another verse and it's another. Yeah. Um, most of our music is, so to speak, that if, if the atonement theory that I have been taught was Christus Victor, I could probably sing just about any song that has atonement-type uh, themes in it and probably fit my... Christus Victor uh, atonement theory view into that song because they're more generic references and not these specific lines that really could only fit into this one theory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they all have, you know, like we've said, there's consistent themes running throughout each atonement theory. And so that's why you see worship pointing to each one of them. Right. Um, You know, and and for anybody that's getting frustrated because you feel like, man, there's five atonement theory. There's, you know, a few more to be sure uh, as we as we change and, and grow, uh, and as we continue to examine Scripture in our modern world, um, we're asking questions all the time about what does this mean? Is this a healthy view of God? You know, again, how does our worship and our theology affect our ethics? Is this is this a healthy view of God that leads me to treating people more with love, uh, or not? You know, do I tend to think that God is a being bent on wrath that needs to be satisfied? Does that make me treat You know, people that I come into contact with as sinners deserving of God's wrath because if so, then, you know, maybe I do need to lean a different direction to a different atonement theory that talks more about love or talks more about, um, you know, moral influence and just, you know, how uh, Jesus being uh, extending the hand of grace and mercy rather than um, intercepting the, the bullet. As it were.
1: Yeah, going going back to the penal substitution, this wrath of God thing, I think that tends to cause us to live more in fear mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and make decisions out of fear rather out of love. Right. Um, you know, we are always trying to make sure we make the right decisions because we don't want to go to hell. Mm-hmm. Well. When, when you read scripture the point is not going to heaven or going to hell it's being in relationship with God and and living into the right. love that he has in this world presently yeah right. not just the making kingdom decisions of God is yeah. hand <laughs> yeah we're not trying to make a bunch of check boxes so we get to heaven yeah. right. if we live in relationship with God and are living out in the kingdom and we are living in a relationship with Jesus, we're good. <laughs>
0: yeah Jesus yeah. has us covered right absolutely. Uh, and if you find yourself frustrated that there's five and, and more atonement theories, remember there's uh, four Gospels telling the same story with slightly different details. So, just, you know, Scripture is, is really interested in giving us a neat little box that we can carry around and, and say, here's God, this is it. This Not
1: is... that you could put God in a box.
0: Right, right, of course, which is why I'm so glad there's four Gospels, right? So yes. you could take four different points of view and say, this points us to Jesus and we don't understand him or anything else about God perfectly. Um, this side of eternity, right? Yeah. And
1: one of my favorite sayings is, you know, I, I can't put God in a box. God can do what God wants to do because God needs to do it. And mm-hmm. God gets to choose that, not me. Right. I don't get to decide which atonement theory he he's most going <laughs> to rely upon. Yeah, That's right. not my decision. Right. You know, he, it's it's him, not
0: yeah. me. Yeah, but, Absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, spending a little time with us, breaking down some atonement theories. I hope, listeners, that you have enjoyed thinking about this for a little bit. Maybe it was a new conversation. Maybe it was revisiting some things you'd heard before. uh, But I do hope it was enjoyable and informative. Uh, Let us know if you have any questions, comments, concerns, cries of disbelief. Uh, We always appreciate feedback. I know several of you folks have emailed me from time to time about the podcast. Really appreciate any feedback. uh, And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.